Hey, thanks, Will. Uh, I made a bit of a shout out to you. Uh, well done on that. Uh, not an easy passage to read, but congratulations to both you and Katie Ann on the new edition of your little girl. That's uh, super exciting for you as well. Have you ever wondered over the last 18 months uh, what it might look like for you to survive in the midst of some pretty crazy times? You know, navigating our way through contemporary culture, uh, as we see in all of its different iterations, is is something that's not for the faint-hearted. And certainly at times I think, gee, wouldn't it be really good if we actually had a survival handbook that actually helped uh, us to uh, kind of think through how we were going to navigate our way through such times? Uh, I I don't know about you, but if you're able to grab a hold of something, you're opening to some particular chapter where you were to kind of get some very clear advice as to what it looks like to to stand strong and to thrive in 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 a bit of a world that's somewhat uncertain and familiar. I know I'd love to grab a hold of something just like that. Well, the reality is, I think we do. We've got a handbook that's called the Bible, and the story that's just been read to us by Will today in the opening chapters of the book of Daniel, the story of four young men, uh, I think is really, it is a message for our times. You see, in the face of overt indoctrination, great temptation and absolute evil, this awesome foursome, they not only survived, but they thrived. And now, yeah, you kind of read this story from Daniel 1 right through to Daniel chapter 12, and particularly the narrative of the first six chapters, and uh, you begin to ask yourself the question, well, what was the secret to their success? Or or maybe what enabled them to stand uh, strong, to, to thrive in such a difficult season of their lives? You know, the answer to that question, uh, or to such questions, is really, it's found throughout the entire book of Daniel, but it's seen even here in the opening verses and chapter of Daniel chapter 1. You know, if you've got your Bible there, kind of hang, hold on to it. I just want to kind of, just kind of dip back through some of the things that we've just been read. And we pick up this story today. I think it's really important for us to kind of put it where it sits in the overall picture of Scripture. You see, we pick it up in a very dark period of Israel's history. You know, prior to this period, uh, Israel had been a united kingdom, uh, having sat under the leadership of three different kings. There was Saul, there was David, there was Solomon, who had been kings over the 12 tribes of Israel. But after Solomon came a king called Rehoboam, and shortly thereafter his rule, uh, we suddenly found that uh, these 12 tribes, they divide. They divide into two kingdoms. There is the northern kingdom uh, that whose capital was Samaria, and there were ten tribes that made their way into that. Then there is the southern kingdom where the capital was Jerusalem, where there was two tribes. And, and sadly, for the most part, uh, these two kingdoms were now sworn enemies of one another. And history tells us that things didn't really quite go that well. In the northern kingdom, they had several different dynasties with no godly monarchs. And in the course of time, God moved to judge this kingdom for their ongoing disloyalty to him. And in 722 BC, history tells us uh, that the might of the Assyrian army swept in from the north and they uh, besieged the northern kingdom. And in the course of time, they carried away the 10 tribes of Israel who were never to be seen again. Well, at the same time, the southern kingdom, it's still alive, but only for around another hundred years. And And in that period of time, uh, we know that all of its kings who were descendants of David, uh, well, many of them were godly. 
But while that was the case, there was still this growing apostasy within this, this nation, within this kingdom. And the prophets would come and they would continue to warn the people that just like what had happened in the northern kingdom, the same would happen to them if they continued to disobey God and, and they needed to repent. But unfortunately, they didn't do that. And their warnings went unheeded, most, mostly for the part that they believed because they had the temple right there in Jerusalem that uh, uh, that would keep them safe from any enemy. And so they just continued along in their sin. It was around about 609 BC when Jehoiakim, who became king of the southern kingdom, he kind of came to rule, but he did really nothing to arrest this prevailing culture of immorality and idolatry. And within a short period of short, three short years, suddenly there's a new king on the scene, a new pagan king who sweeps in, who comes in from Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, who comes in and he defeats, or he attacks and he defeats the, the city of Jerusalem. And Daniel chapter 1 verse 2 tells us what happens at this point in time. Uh, Daniel says, The Lord gave, being Nebuchadnezzar, victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. And he permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. And over the, next, over the course of the next 23 years, King Nebuchadnezzar kept coming back with his armies and uh, he ended up taking almost all of the people of Judah, these two tribes, and a, whole, uh, a portion of uh, all the treasures from uh, the temple of Jerusalem, and he carried them back into Babylon. Now, it's clear as you read these scriptures that Nebuchadnezzar was a, a, a really switched-on smart military leader. You know, realizing that he had conquered a number of different nations and he kind of carried back into his own land a whole bunch of foreigners, he realized that it wouldn't take too long for these foreigners to begin to rise up and that if he didn't do something to assimilate them into uh, the Babylonian way of life, that at some point in time it might speak or be the demise of his empire. And so uh, we're told that he spoke to his chief of staff, his 2IC, someone with a high authority, and he ordered him to take the best uh, of uh, the different people, the, the nations, the, these ones that have been conquered, to take the cream of the crop and to assimilate them into civil service through this stringent process of re-education and uh, indoctrination. And we, we get this in verse 4 where Nebuchadnezzar says, he says, make sure that these people, they are well-versed in every branch of learning. Remember, he's looking for the cream of the crop. Make sure that they are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and they are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. You know, one might call this a Babylonian makeover. Well, as part of the, the Babylonianization of all of these foreign people who were coming from different lands, it uh, required not only this stringent program that they were being submitted to, but it meant also the changing of their names. We're told that Daniel, who means God has judged, now becomes Belshazzar. Hanani, which means Jehovah has been gracious, now becomes Shadrach. Mishael, who stood for who was like God, becomes Meshach, and Azariah, which means the Lord is my help, becomes Abednego. Each of them is now given this new name representing a pagan deity from this now Babylonian culture that they're now a part of, this, this strange and unfamiliar world that they've been subjected to. And it makes you begin to think, well, how will these young boys fare? Well, as the story unfolds, the answer becomes quite clear. You know, as they've been brought into uh, this uh, small cohort of people that are going to be subjected to this process of re-education, 
it becomes quite apparent to Daniel and his mates that they're not going to be preparing their own food, but they're going to be eating uh, from the royal table. And this is what Daniel says. Daniel determines in verse 8 that he would not defile himself by eating the food and wine that had been given to them by the king. Now, you ask yourself, well, why would he react in such a way? I mean, what was the, the big deal with just eating a little bit of food and wine from the table? I mean, after all, I mean, up until this point in time, he hadn't objected to this uh, process of indoctrination, this reprogramming, you might call it, this, this extreme makeover. He hadn't jumped up and down when he'd been given a new name, but suddenly uh, he's being thrust with his food and he's saying, I don't want to touch any of it. Well, the answer is really quite simple. You see, Daniel knew that this food had already been offered uh, to idols before being served. And so he would rather rot in a dungeon or uh, risk being executed than being associated with such practices. I mean, Daniel and his mates, they realized they had been carried off into captivity. They had been subjected to God's punishment because uh, they had associated themselves with, with idolatry and immoral practices over the years. And suddenly now they're back in the situation. He's like, I don't, want any, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And you know what's interesting? He doesn't throw a, a, a religious hissy fit. And he doesn't kind of blow up about the Babylonian heavy handedness. But instead, he just firmly and politely, he asks the chief official if there might be another way that if he and his four friends or three friends might have a completely different diet. Well, what happens next is really quite remarkable in the story. Uh, it's obvious that this chief of staff, this chief official who was closely connected to King Nebuchadnezzar, he was somewhat fearful uh, of things going a little pear-shaped, that if he gave any kind of leeway or uh, allowed uh, Daniel and his mates to take a different course of action. But the book of Daniel tells us that God was at work in his life, causing him to have both respect and affection for Daniel. He listened to Daniel's request and he ends up graciously allowing him to engage in a 10-day trial of what was most likely a diet of, of, of fruit, vegetables, and water. Probably not the diet that I'd be excited about, but that was the diet that he allowed them to engage in. And what we find is that at the end of this period of time, uh, these four young men uh, who had abstained from the king's food, there was a noticeable improvement in their complexion. I mean, they stood out above everybody else who had been indulging in the royal food and the wine. God's favor had fallen upon them for their fearful convictions and oh, their fearful, but their faithful convictions. And as a result, this now chief of staff, this chief official uh, allows and he gives them these, these boys, these young men to just continue with their chosen diet. And as the chapter ends, we're told that God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel uh, the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. You know, some people might think that uh, it was their diet that caused them to succeed and be so, so successful, but, but that's not the case. See, it wasn't their diet that gave them this great knowledge. It was, the key to this was that it was spiritual. And they had honored God and they had put him first in all things. And we read in this that he and then turns, well, he, he honors them by stirring up certain gifts and talents within them, as well as giving them favor in the life of favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, we read that story and we listen to it. 
And I think uh, if you are engaged in God's word today and you're thinking more deeply about it, some of the natural questions that come out of that is, well, what does that mean for us in a period of time when we are finding that life is somewhat unfamiliar? It's, uh, it's challenging. It's, it's, it's a time period in which uh, we're not quite sure what to make of it. You know, what does this story say to us in a time where, where we, we might be feeling like we're trying to survive? Well, I want to share maybe just with the time that I've got left, a couple of key observations that I think are crucial for us before drilling down maybe just a little bit more and making some application for our lives. See, here's the first thing that I want us to notice from this story. You see, I want us to take note of God's sovereign rule and reign throughout what we will see throughout the entire book of Daniel, but here particular in the opening verses of this book. You see, his people might have been defeated, but we've got this great sense that God is still the undefeated God working in and through all the circumstances that were around them, even right there in the pagan city of Babylon. You see it in verse 2. We're told that it was God who was the one who gave King Jehoiakim into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 9, it's God who gave Daniel favor and compassion with a chief official. And in verse 17, he is the one who graciously gave Daniel and his three mates some exceptional giftings. See, God's ruling presence was right there amongst them, even in the pagan world of Babylon. Don't miss that. And see, and and the reality is, as we think about that, uh, I think that applies so directly into today. You see, it's a timely message for us reminding us that we can still stand strong in uncertain times because as God was then, so he is today. God is still amongst us. He is still there wherever or whatever you're there might be today. He is right there amongst us. But here's the second thing I want us to note. You see, I want us to really see that that God honors those that honor him. You see, Daniel and his three mates, they gave themselves to God in a remarkable way. And consequently, we see that God graciously and generously uh, responds to them in a remarkable way. He, He causes them to thrive in a remarkable way. You see, not only do these four teenagers flourish during some dark and challenging times, but we're told at the close of this chapter that Daniel served at the highest echelon of the king's service for a large period of time. He was there from, from the period of King Nebuchadnezzar, then into other kings, right through to the Persian king called Cyrus, a period of 70 years. It's clear from this story And it's clear from other passages in Scripture as well, too, that God honors those that are always prepared to stand strong and honor Him with their lives. As we read the story, we see that. We see God's constant presence right there in this pagan city of Babylon, working in and through all the circumstances. And we see God at work in honoring and causing Daniel and his mates to thrive because they were willing to put Him first in all things. So what's that mean for you and I today? Well, maybe let me just wrap things up today with a couple of different applications that I think are appropriate for us. 
I've really enjoyed just immersing myself in this passage this week, thinking about uh, myself, my own life, but what this might mean for others of us as well too. And these aren't the only applications, but I think they've got great merit for us as we think about how we might apply this story into our times, how we might apply it to our lives uh, in such a way that it causes us to stand strong and to thrive. And here's the first thing I want to say. You see, maybe for some of us today, uh, it is the timely reminder that God is still here. He is right there alongside of us in our situation. He is there, whatever or wherever you're there might be. You see, he is there in our midst when it feels like our marriages are failing. And he's there in our midst when we find ourselves maybe in difficult work situations. And he's there in our midst when we suddenly maybe we, we, uh, we get that dreaded news and we encounter a, a, a serious health crisis. And you know what? He's still there even in our midst right now during the challenges of a global pandemic. I wonder what your there might be today. See, as he was then, so he is today. And we can be confident of God's ongoing rule and reign, his presence into every situation of our lives. You see, our hope today is not in the things of this world. Our hope today is in the reality of God's word. And it promises us that as he was then, so he is today. Can you identify what your there is maybe in your life today? See, as he was then, so he is still today. And if you can identify you're there, then I want to encourage you to, to acknowledge that before him and to thank him for his presence in your moment, in your situation. And not only to thank him, but then to ask him to, to, to give you the capacity to stand strong and to remain firm and to, to thrive into the midst of whatever it is that maybe you are facing. You see, if Daniel and his mates can do it, then we can still do it today. Or maybe for others of us, the challenge is a little bit different. See, maybe it is the timely conviction today as we listen, as we read and engage in the story of Daniel and his mates. It is the timely conviction to honor God by putting him first in all things of our lives. See, what might all things look like for us today? You see, for Daniel... It meant uh, abstaining from food that had been defiled. But for you and I today, it could be any number of different things. See, all things might mean choosing to honor him with a portion of our wealth. It might mean choosing to, to make sure that we put God first with our time and our talents and the treasures that he has given to us. Instead of keeping stuff to ourselves or, or giving him uh, uh, the leftovers, so to speak, that we say, you know what, we're all going to make a sacrifice and, and I'm going to choose to put him first in all things. Or it might mean choosing to go against the flow and, and, and making the tough decision to only watch that which is wholesome and, and edifying in your lives. It's a tough thing to do in our culture today. Or maybe it, all things might mean choosing to die to yourself and making the really tough decision to say that, you know, as I do that, I am making the decision to live more united with the body of Christ. Does that make sense? 
You know, this past week I was just continuing to think upon the fact that, you know, in a divided world, there is really such a need. It is a time, this time for a, a, a united church. See, is there an area of your life today in which, uh, you know, you know what, maybe I'm holding back on to that or I'm not putting him first in all things? Now, the reality is that A plus B does not necessarily equal C. Just because we choose to do that doesn't mean that then everything else is going to go swimmingly perfect in our lives. Sometimes God allows hardships to reach us so that his grace might move through us and extend beyond that to other people. But the principle is really true here in this story and in the scriptures as well too, that uh, it teaches us that our response to God, the way in which we respond to God, does determine the way in which he will respond to us. And so maybe for some of us this week, it's the question around, what's it going to look like for you to put God first in all things of your life? Not just some things, but in all things. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were were prepared to put him first. They were prepared to honor him above all things. They were prepared to put the the results aside to make sure that they were God-orientated. And not only did it enable them to stand strong, but they thrived. And so I wonder for you and I today what that might be. God hasn't placed us here in such a point in time with the sense that, well, you just kind of work your way out and try and kind of live as best as you can. God has placed us as his children in this particular point in time. And we don't just have to survive, but we've got the opportunity to thrive as we're following Jesus. What's that going to look like for you in the coming weeks? You know, imagine for just a moment what you and I or what God might do in and through each of our lives if we dared for a moment to live like Daniel and his three mates. I am convinced that it only takes a few faithful followers of Jesus, men and women, boys and girls, who are prepared to put their lives on the line, acknowledging that there is a God in heaven who rules over all things, who's in control of all circumstances, and as a result of that, as we look to him and as we honor him in all things, It only takes one or two people prepared to do that. And God is prepared to move in and through those people to make all kinds of a difference in this world. And I just wonder today whether you would be prepared to be the one. To to live like Daniel. To live like this awesome force. You know, we're going to continue on in worship this morning. And I realize the Spirit of God is stirring in our hearts today as we think about how we are going to respond to His words. As we sing a couple more songs together, I want to urge you to lean in with me to to not just disconnect or to switch off right now, wherever you might be, but to lean into what you sense the Spirit of God is saying to you in your life. And in your house right now, maybe that means getting down on your knees in response because these songs give us an opportunity to respond to God. If you're sitting in your car somewhere, maybe you're sitting in a cafe and you're watching, this is your moment. This is holy ground. This is your opportunity. The Spirit of God is moving in our hearts today. He's looking for men and women, boys and girls who are prepared to to, to live in such a way that their lives will make a difference. To live like Daniel and his mates. You see, standing strong is not just something that we kind of, we'll just try harder. 
God doesn't call us just to try harder. God's calling us today to look to him. His spirit lives within us. To acknowledge that he is present right there in the midst of all that we might be facing. And to say, Father, would you give us the strength, the courage, the tenacity to stand strong? And in us doing that, would you cause us to thrive in ways that bring honor and glory to you? Would you join with me as I pray and then we continue on in worship? Father, we thank you for the story of Daniel. We thank you for the way in which you moved in and through the life of, of this, this small remnant of young boys, teenage boys from the, from the southern kingdom, from that land of Judah. Father, we thank you that they wanted to live life in such a way, even in the uncertainty and the unfamiliar land of Babylon, they were prepared to stand up and to see their lives count for you. And so, Father, I pray that you might be doing that in our lives today, despite our circumstances, despite what we might be facing. Uh, Father, we thank you that you're in our midst. And we honor you today. We give you glory. And we know that as we do that, you will continue to kind of work in and through the life of this church for your great kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name.